Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark, Sharon, and I will be talking today about what else? Addiction. Um, We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people learn how they can solve and completely move past addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. Um, I, I've been working with a lot of people lately, uh, specifically women. I tend to work with the women more um, and who believe that they're broken, that they're irreversibly broken. And in some cases, they believe their their uh, heavy substance use is caused because they're broken. And in some cases, they believe that they're broken because of their heavy substance use. And it's this kind of infinite loop that they can't seem to get out of. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a sad thing to watch. I think that um, I think that when you you drink and drug long enough, I always talk about this that your world shrinks. And, and when it, it, eventually you lose touch with um, basically figuring out how to problem solve. And sometimes you can get into a real, real destructive sort of um, self-pity loop as yeah, well. Yeah, that's for sure. And it's funny because in today's day and age, it's almost uncool to talk about self-pity because um, depression and the concept of depression as a medical problem um, has sort of taken central center stage, you know? And whether it's a medical problem or not, that's not what we're gonna talk about because that's for the, for the scientists to figure out. Um, and, uh, but, but I know self-pity. Yep. I know what, how destructive thinking bad things about yourself. So um, self-talk, negative self-talk, Yep. Uh, self-pity, how destructive that can be, and how easy it is to get caught in that because it self-perpetuates itself. Yeah, you know, and, it's and self-perpetuating. It, when you're when you are a heavy substance user, and and you get to the point where you it, you get a love-hate relationship with it, but it feels like it's all a hate-hate relationship. But here you find yourself keep doing it, and and you know you have particularly bad you know, days or weeks drinking and drugging and bad things keep happening and then you keep going back to it and then people are heaping all kinds of, yeah, like they're they're talking to you, they're saying how selfish you must be. Um, you really can get in that cycle where your self-pity brings on a binge and then your binge brings on more self-pity. Yeah. You know, and and you you think you begin to really believe I must be broken. Yeah, and then and then that uh, think about this: how many of you out there have had where you get into that cycle, and then you start to compare your life to the lives of others that seemingly have all their shit together. Oh right? yeah. Right. So let's say that you're um, you've been drinking for the last year and a half heavily, and your job was lost so now you're you're somewhat broke and your marriage is falling apart and your husband is out cheating on you and you found out and your your self-esteem is shot and all of these things are happening and then but 
but you can't say anything to anybody because your friends' lives are, they're still married, they still have their jobs, right? right? So now... And your perception is that their lives are perfect too, which... Typically is not true, but it's your perception. <laughs> I, that's that's something we should get into in a little while too. Is is this idea that there's the the perfect marriage or the perfect house, and uh, nobody. And the older you get, the more you realize oh, nobody, sure. nobody's household is perfect. Everybody uh, has their issues, but but that doesn't change the fact that you can get into this place where you stop communicating with right. friends that once were maybe somebody you could problem solve with. Um, find some happiness with, find your way out of getting out of the house and um, maybe not drinking as much uh, where your life is a little more varied, right? Um, So this cycle where where you stop, uh, you know, uh, participating in the human race, when that happens, it's, it's it's a bad place to be in. And so what happens eventually is you will actually take on the identity of feeling actually broken, like you can't fix problems. And that, that is the, basically the definition of depression. Um, when, yeah. you, when you, when you, it's futile. Right. I feel like life is, in general, is futile. Yeah. Now, I, just so you know, I've, I've been there. <sighs> I've, Really, I've had some dark, dark years of my life. Not just little spells, but I, I can remember a period from from about 14 to 18 where most of it was difficult. I can remember being a kid from 7 to about thir- 12, 13. That was really rough. Yeah. Um, where I just wasn't very happy and I, I didn't feel safe. And I, you know, I had a, a rough upbringing. I really did. So, so I get it, you know, and, uh, but you can move past this. So the question is what we're going to talk about then is how do you unspiral? So you can spiral down, Mm -hmm. starts with self-pity. It starts with bad things happening. Then it develops into negative self-talk. Then it eventually reinforces itself, more self-pity. And then you go down the tubes into uh, being broken. So if you're at that spot where you feel broken, how do you unspiral? How do you change that? So let's talk a little bit about how to start that. Yeah, I, it's, it can be really confounding, I think is the best word. And yeah, I was there too. I was there. Um, I, <laughs> life was hard for me before I started drinking and drugging. I had a, I had a difficult childhood as well. And... Um, and thought some things about myself at a young age that that were not helpful. You know, my self-image was, you know, from being very young, was that I was weird and that I didn't really fit in anywhere. And um, and there were people in my life that kind of reinforced that. Um, you know, it, our parents do the best they can, I suppose. Um, but growing up in the 70s was a little bit strange anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Have you seen some shows and stuff about the 70s? <laughs> Accurate portrayals. Um, and and so when I started my path towards substance use, for me, it was fun. It allowed me to kind of fit in somewhere. And it I, it, I did things for me that I that I was told or kind of learned in, in the culture I grew up in that were helpful, right? So you start down that path with substance use and 
And, but I mean, right from young age, I was told I'd be an alcoholic if I ever drank. So that was always in the back of my mind, um, which also made me weird again, right? It made me somebody that, that wasn't like everybody else. But I kind of ignored that for a period of time and I had a lot of fun. So when I started the, the downward spiral into self-pity, um, I was I was older than Mark. I was I probably started that downward spiral when he quit, when he stopped, and I was about eighteen, and and it just and then I got a diagnosis, a mental health diagnosis. So that compounded this idea that not only was I broken because I was an alcoholic, but I was broken because I had mental health, I had a mental illness, and and that I could never be okay. So. So what happens is I started actually behaving in ways that reinforced the, that belief system in myself. Yeah. And and I got to a point, and this is, I, I got all there because I got to a point when I just got tired of all of it. Like I got to that point where I just wanted everything to stop. And and I was a contemplated suicide for months, but quite frankly, I there were certain reasons that I believed that I wouldn't do that. Um, I, I was fearful of it. And also I was, I didn't want to hurt my family in that way. I still cared what they thought of me. Um, and, and so I just, just kind of gave up and stopped one day drinking. I stopped all of it and figured I'm as miserable as I could ever be. So maybe, just maybe, I can be happier if I stop. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. So, so in the book *Man's Search for Meaning*, Viktor Frankl talks about. Um, Viktor was in Auschwitz, the concentration camp, camp Auschwitz, and and it's a book about his experience there and how he overcame that experience through his mind. And but he talks about how when you're in a set of circumstances where you're depressed, severely depressed. Um, we, we've just defined that as fe- a feeling of futility in your right. circumstances. Right, you feel powerless yeah, to that, change your circumstances. Right. And he said when you're there, what the human mind typically will do is it will try to find meaning in that suffering, right? Right. And sometimes there's no meaning. Sometimes it's just awful. Right. Now, let me give you an example that's not in a concentration camp. In my situation as a, as a little boy... After my mom left, I I never felt safe. I had older brothers and sisters without parental supervision, and um, the kids down the street were kind of bullies, and I was this little sickly kid. And I just never felt safe, secure, and it felt futile, and it was terrifying in some situations, and sad and lonely. And... I remember going to Catholic Church and believing in God and asking God, what, why was this being done to me? And Viktor Frankl talks about that being cast into this horrific hell on earth called Auschwitz. And, and one of the worst things you can do is, is ask why when mm. things are that bad because there may not be an answer. So now that's where hopelessness lands, right? There is no answer. There's silence to your prayers, and this is the, the classic sort of uh, human conundrum. And so, so, but he gives some other advice in situations like that. And he, basically, what he says is, what you have to do is just what's in front of you, right? You know, and and 
it, as bad as it is, you have to go inside yourself and say, okay, what could I do right now? Don't worry about why. Right. Okay. Um, because sometimes there is no why. When you are despondent, you've already exhausted the why. Mm -hmm. You've gone over it and there is no why. There is no reasoning behind why you're suffering so horribly. So the begin now there may be an answer mm -hmm. to it later. But the point is, the reason you're suffering is because there is no why at that moment. You feel hopeless. So he said, basically, do what's right in front of you. Find meaning in what's in front of you. Now, he would, he would describe that it might be finding a few peas in the soup that they were given, which yes. was basically water, right? And they were starving, so the, the meaning in his life was, I need to find the peas, or, or whatever it might be that was right in front of him, uh, turning his collar up when he was out in the cold. For them, at that elemental level, that was a, a sense of comfort, was turning his collar up, you know? And because uh, they didn't have anything else. Now, luckily, most people aren't in that dire of a situation. They usually have a better situation than a, a concentration camp. So, Sometimes it's as, as easy as making the call to the friend you don't want to call because you've isolated yourself and you've gotten used to being in bed doing nothing, mm -hmm. staying statically depressed. And sometimes, and I've done this where I've been so dedicated to my self-pity and misery that I, I thought there was no way out and I was entrenched in it. I'd gotten good at it, <laughs> you know. And then I made a call and I got out and I went for a walk and I went and visited a friend it, and it was, it was like pulling teeth, but I did it. And then at the end of the night, I felt good. Yeah. And I was, and then I, I kind of chalked that up in my mind and I said, oh, for a minute I got out of myself and I do feel better. And, and I think when you're really, really super depressed you have to go with the old adage of better is better. And better is relative. It might be just getting out of the house and getting your mail instead of sitting in bed. It might be taking a shower and then making that call. It might That's when you're severely depressed. And suddenly you'll realize, I do feel better. Right, right. I, I tell people a lot of times, for me, um, if I wait to feel better to go do something, oh. Um, yeah. then it seems to never come uh, if I wait to feel motivated. Um, and, and a lot of times people, people misunderstand the freedom model because they think we're saying that you have to wait to be happy to choose abstinence or to change. And it, that's not it at all. Not at all. Not at all. For me, what I have to do is I have to put the action before the feeling. I have to allow for the possibility that, that I'm going to feel better if I do something. Well, here's what's interesting about what you just said. If you take an action to feel better, right? Yep. You've already shifted your mindset because your mind had to make that decision to yes. do it. So it, sometimes it literally, but, but, but you make a great point. You just get out and you do something. Yeah. You do something. And, uh, and then you build off of that foundation. Now, you might be somebody who believes that this is biolo solely biologically driven, that there's some imbalance or chemical imbalance in, in your brain tissue. 
Now, uh, I'm not a uh, neurologist or a neuroscientist. Yeah. Or, a, or you know, we're not physicians. We're not psychiatrists. I only have the experience of having had a gun in my mouth at 18 years old, 19 years old, and to come from that point to a point in my life where I was very successful and very happy under very difficult circumstances. And and so I do know something about well, this thing called living. Well, yeah, and we've got 30 years of helping people who once had very strong preference for a heavy substance use, um, of helping them change their preference. And I've watched people, and this is, this is the point I was gonna get to, who thought they were clinically depressed, not a few of them, thousands. Yeah. Thousands in my office who say, I'm clinically depressed, and I go, okay. Whether you are or not, I don't know. What I do know is that if you try this, this, and this, you'll probably be happier, are you willing? And they are, in these cases, and their lives change. So I know that whether it's biologically driven or not, there are certain things that you can do that are guaranteed to change the way uh, you feel. Yes. And, and it's impossible, for instance, to jog and be depressed. Now, you can still be sad and troubled and have problems, but I guarantee you are not going to be the same as you were when you were laying in bed despondent. Right. Because the running itself gives meaning. Yeah. It gives meaning to your life. It gives some, and it, it increases blood pressure. So there's not only psychological benefits, but physical benefits, um, emotional benefits, all of it. So, so sometimes it really is about um, just making the changes in your life you're willing to make. I, I, you know, I see these commercials for depression medications and things like that, and it, and it talks about losing interest in what you used to like to do and. Um, feeling like you want to just stay in bed all day. Even those, in because I can remember being there. I can remember, you know, going through a period in my life where where I was kind of, I felt like I was going through the motions. Um, and and I didn't socialize with anyone. Um, I, I, I basically just spent my time in my head. Um, I always went to work, but even that, I was kind of going through the motions there. Um, and what that was, which I didn't realize, was me protecting myself from from taking any more risks. I, I felt like a failure, and I ruminated on that, and I felt like if I tried anything else, it would be futile. I wouldn't, I, nothing would work out for me. Um, and, and so that you know, staying in bed or staying watching television and that inaction was, was for me a happier option because it felt like I was protected in some way. Yeah. Well, I, that's why I say some people, I'm not saying everybody, but some people, um, they, they do choose a lifestyle that ends with depression and the depression is a dedication to insulating their life from risk. Yes. It's a dedication to insulating their life from risk. The problem is that without challenging those risks and going out and doing that, you won't live. And um, 
And there's no way to avoid risk completely. That's for sure. There just isn't any way. And sometimes by sitting in bed, the risks actually increase over yeah. time. And they'll find you, the risks will find you, because you won't be making money, you'll be at the whims of other people, um, and the self-pity will get worse, and then physical problems start to occur. So the risks are actually high when yeah, you, they are. When you the stay health static. Risks specifically, um, our bodies are meant to be in motion. It's the only machine in the universe that gets better with more use. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something that I thought was interesting. In those commercials that say one of the symptoms of depression is have you lost interest in things that you used to like? Here's what's so wild about that. When we've worked with people, like mm -hmm. you said, for 31 years, uh, one of the largest reasons that people fill their life with booze and alcohol and depression, honestly, um, is because they've they've sort of worn out yes. the options in their life that used to be very exciting to them and they haven't adjusted to their, their age. Yes. Okay? So they're still desperately trying to make um, not only their substance use habits that used to work, they're also trying to make their interests that used to work uh, work now. <laughs> and, and those interests no longer work they they they're not fun they're not satisfying they're not fulfilling to them you know at, at 50 years old i'm not going to ride my red murray bicycle like i did at eight in total bliss right. okay i just don't give a shit about it hmm. right so so i can't tell you how many people come here to the to the retreat depressed with all kinds of diagnosis oh, yeah. and then we do life movements that portion of the program where we explore new options from the comfort of a, of a very warm retreat, okay, where they feel safe and yeah. comfortable. And all of a sudden they say, I haven't thought about this dream I've had uh, for the last year because I've been so drunk, and, but I'd like to try this, this, and this. And they almost, it's almost like a guilty little secret. Right. And, and, because they would never dream of saying it out loud to somebody. And then I say, well, then you're gonna, we're going to start that right now. We're, we're going to start building those dreams and, and having you move on. Then they leave the retreat. They actually go out and they try these things. I get a card or a call five years later that says, I just want you to know that I succeeded. I've, I haven't been depressed. I'm off all my meds. I, you know, I haven't drank and drugged. I now, or I drink moderately and I've been successful and um, I'm remarried. And there's all these stories, the thousands and thousands of them, because they did adjust to their age. They did move on to new avenues. So try to understand that if you're depressed because you feel like you've worn out options, Maybe it's time to move on to something new. Just try something new. Um, I, I I used to love running. Um, I would run three to four miles, you know, a few days a week, three, four days a week. Um, in my early 30s, I injured my hip and and I was told I shouldn't run anymore. Um, and so I, I literally like lamented about that for a couple years. I stopped working out altogether. I put on weight. I I just was like, no, that's it, that's it. And so I, I, I failed to adjust. I failed to adjust to the fact that I'm getting older and I, this is not something I can do. I don't, you know, and now it, it took me about, oh, I was in my early 30s, so it was 20 years ago. Um, and about 10 years ago, I was like, maybe I can walk. 
maybe maybe you I mean, can like walking. Yeah. 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 And um and I at first I didn't like it, honestly. I was yeah, I I transitioned with the elliptical. But I, I like being outside. I missed being outside. So so I thought maybe I can grow to like walking. So it's not something I liked right away. And that's that's the other part of it is like when we tell people you allow, like you can allow for the possibility you can be happier abstinent, you can allow for the possibility you can be happier doing all kinds of things. And then maybe like I knew in the end that walking would be very beneficial for me. I knew all the benefits I could get from it, but I didn't know how to how to like it. And I actually grew to love it. Like, and now I look forward to it. It's, it, I feel like it's a treat in my day. Um, but I had to, to really focus on benefits of the activity to grow to love it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I had the same exact experience. I was, as you know, I was a runner and I mm-hmm. used to run races and all that kind of stuff. And then I got to where my back was just in too bad a shape and I couldn't do it. And what I had to do is I had to adjust to uh, observing the things around me when I walked because I really love nature. Yep. And when I was running, it was more about getting from point A to point B in a certain amount of time. And increasing your cardio yeah. and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was a different experience. So I had to adjust and see the benefits of slowing down. Yep. And now I, I, I would not want to run. I, no, I, I haven't either. run in many years, but I walk every day three to four miles. And, and I still do hills and stuff, and I push myself, but I love uh, to find a, a, a nature walk that I yeah. enjoy. Um, I want to talk about uh, some of this may sound like um, things you've heard a million times, like these tips to get out of depression. But, but what I want to say is it's not just that. I want to also say that you can be patient with yourself. Yes. We are not being dismissive to the to the difficulty of being really, really sad. And being in a bad place yeah. emotionally. I mean, I, I have been there. You need to know that. And you so, need to know that everybody's been there. That's right. That's right. To one degree or another. Now, I know I know some people that seem to have a charmed life. They're blissfully yeah. ignorant and they just have been successful. I swear, you know. <laughs> But it's really important for me to stop doing that, stop comparing, yeah. pull back into myself and say, okay, what do I want to do with me? Yeah. And then be patient with myself. And, and it really is okay. Look, at if you want to sit in bed one more day, do it. You know, it's okay. And, but allow for the possibility that, well, tomorrow I might get up and just try some things. And be patient about yeah. it. Yeah. Here, here's the important part of what we're talking about, and that is you are exactly what you think you are. And so if you believe, like I did for many years, that you're broken, that you're that there's something broken in you and you you aren't you are unable to experience you, yeah, you, happiness. You can't. Right. The word can't. Um that's that's not true. That's not true. Um everybody can experience happiness. And you probably have in your life. Right. If you look back at your life, you weren't born broken. Um, you're not broken now. You are going through a difficult time. And so so it's also important to just be patient, but also be kind to yourself as you're going through this. You know, if you're trying to stop a heavy substance use habit, um, the shame and the guilt that you're heaping on yourself are not helpful, and nor are they entirely accurate. Right. 
Um, so it's important to to know that I, you know, right now I am using heavily because I believe that it holds certain value to me. I believe it has benefits um, on the front end, and I and 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 I'm miserable. So so happier to me is one step above abject misery, which is what I think I'm getting. Right, and then you can say, okay, what's the next step to being? Uh, a little happier. Maybe it's cutting down on the drinking and seeing that as a benefit um, because you don't feel hungover every day. Uh, or, or maybe it's abstaining for a period of time, clearing your head, and then trying to exercise a little bit and becoming social again. Yeah. These things, you're, you're capable of all options. That's what you need to know. Um, I have met very very few and maybe no I I can't think of anybody that I met that was completely broken because when I see somebody who's completely broken I see him in a grave right and and I now obviously I've known some people who committed suicide and it's it saddens me deeply and I wish nobody made that decision I had two suicide attempts myself so I understand uh, what that's like Um, but luckily Luckily, I had some people that helped me out in those days and, uh, and I got out from under. So talk to somebody. Just go out and talk to somebody and, and get involved in, in talking to humanity again. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, you put the action before the feeling. And, and sometimes um, the benefits you'll feel immediately. Yeah. Immediately, it'll be like night and like, oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? I know. I know. I, the amount of weeks and months of my life, years that I wasted being sad and thinking that it wasn't going to get better. Um, and then I, there, here's the deal. There's no way around the fact that you eventually, if you want to feel better, only you can do it. That's right. There's, there's no, nothing that fixes you from the outside. There's no therapist that can make it happen. There's no friend that can make it happen. They can be good sounding boards, but ultimately the decision is going to be yours and the actions that you need to take are going to be yours and you will find your way through it because your positive drive principle is so powerful inside of you. Um, take the risk. Take it and, and it, it can't be worse than sitting in bed for weeks and being miserable. Right, right, and, and and ruminating on on all the all the things you think about yourself that are negative. Um, because know this, all the things you think about yourself that are negative, most of it's probably bullshit. Yeah, yeah, and don't compare your life to others' lives. Your life is yours. Your autonomy. You're you're your own person, and you have to decide what it is you want for you. I did not fit in the world well. Yeah, I just I didn't, didn't, and and I felt so alone for so long, and uh, and I you know I just had to accept that I was different. I had different skills, and and I started to become a better me, and mm-hmm. I accepted who I was, and. Uh, and it ended up that I like myself, <laughs> you know? That's kind of important. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And I bet you out there, if I could if I could just hug you and let you know that, that you're your own person. God made you, and there's only going to be one you in this universe. There's nobody like you, and that's a special thing. Uh, you were made the way you are for a reason. So um, embrace it and decide who you're gonna to be tomorrow. And one, I wanna to cover one more concept, 
And that is if you've been to treatment and you've been to recovery meetings, 12-step meetings, um, that whole model is based on this idea of character defects and, and, and shaming and shaming and making you feel bad for who you are. Um, and, and none of it is accurate. The only reason that you, you prefer intoxication and there is nothing at all wrong with that. Um, with that preference, you've developed it over a period of time. It has literally nothing to do with character defects or your moral inventory right. or, or any of those things. I took on, when I went to AA, I took on so many of those beliefs about myself that it hindered me. Oh, it's destructive. It's just destructive. It's painful and they're lies. Yeah. It, it's Bill Wilson made up the 12 steps based on creating a cult. So I'm going to say it straight up. Michelle's being nice about it, but get out of a cult. Yeah. Don't, don't be a part of a, a self Don't let people abuse you and, you know, don't don't write down your your moral inventory and then tell it to a virtual stranger um, so that they can tell abuse you with it. Um, I look at my sponsor was a nice woman, um, but when you're when you're talking about when you're giving your life story and you're talking about being abused as a child, um, you didn't have a part in that. Right, and then that has yeah, nothing to do with anything. And, and then the sponsor says, you know, it's your fault. What what was your part in it? And I'm like, I existed. <laughs> I, and was I was like seven years old, <laughs> and, and I was somebody's sexual play toy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know. I was born, and that's that's the tragedy of AA. It really is. Is, is these unprofessionals who are going to give advice about how how uh, screwed up you are and how spiritual they are. Um, so yeah. Don't be a part of the cult. Leave that crap behind and move on with your life in the direction you want it to go in. Yeah, yeah. Don't take on this identity of a broken person or a terrible person or um, whatever whatever you might be ruminating about in your own mind um, that's negative about yourself. Allow for the possibility that it's all wrong um, and that, that basically if you've developed a a strong preference for substance use, you have good reasons for it. Um, and then you can open your mind to, to challenging those reasons and and possibly figuring out if you can be happier making a change. Yeah, moderating or abstaining. Um, now, if you have any questions about any of this material, get a copy of our book, The Freedom Model for Addictions. Uh, we dispel all the mythology that you might be um, confused by. You know, the misinformation that, that traps a lot of people in, in addictions and recovery. So get a copy of it. It's the Freedom Model for Addictions. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. It was kind of a serious topic, so I hope I hope it wasn't wasn't too uh, morose a little bit. But we want to tell you that you can be fine, um, and you can get your life exactly where you want it to be. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at eight 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 four two four. 
888-262-2626 or through our websites, thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Soberforever.net provides detailed information about our beautiful residential retreat, the St. Jude Retreat. Thefreedommodel.org is our hub and it has a ton of free information and resources, including videos, these podcasts, free ebooks, and information about our at-home private instruction program. You can get digital editions of our full books, The Freedom Model for Addictions and The Freedom Model for the Family um, at that website. Just go to the Our Books tab, um, pick the book that you want, and enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout. That Those books will download right to your mobile device. Um, paperback, Kindle, and other e-reader versions are available for purchase on Amazon and other online retailers. Um, you can follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. And there are also three private Facebook groups we started uh, for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. Um, and if you uh, need detox, if you need medical detox, you can call our friends at Gallus Detox. Ask for Sandra, she's wonderful. Um, at at gallusdetox.com um, is where you can find their number. And one last thing, if you're on iTunes, it helps us if you'll give a, a positive review. Um, and that way it will actually move up in the list and more people will find this life-saving podcast um, and our free books. We're here to help the masses. We want to save lives. That's, so if you found this helpful, please give us a, a positive review. And, and share, uh, maybe share the podcast on social media. Yeah. Um, let, let your friends know about it. All right. From everyone here at The Freedom Model, we wish you well. All right. Take care, everybody.